0: This is for us. God's going to speak to you. And uh, at the end of the sermon, at the end of my, my, my assignment, I'm going to count to three. And The reason why I'm going to count to three because that's going to be your cue. That's going to be your sign to raise your hand and receive Jesus in your heart. You're going to do what I did in August 16, 1989. I was in a tent in the Bronx at about 11 o'clock at night. The preacher preached, and he said, who wants Jesus? And I raised my hand, and I said, I want Jesus. That was 30 years ago. And let me tell you, my friend, that's been the best decision I've ever made in my life. Because of that decision, I married the right woman. Because of that decision, God has kept me. Because of that decision, I am a happy man. And so you cannot be happy, you cannot be blessed outside of God. So when I finish preaching, I'm going to count to three. And if you want that Jesus that everyone in this place has received, unafraid, You're going to raise your hand, and we will celebrate you because we know that the best days is yet to come in your life. So that's what's going to happen in about 35, 40 minutes. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We are in awe of you, Lord, your faithfulness, your goodness, your kindness, your grace. We're here, Lord, now, God, after singing and telling you how much we love you and worshiping you, Lord. Now we want you to speak to us. I ask you to speak to me first, God. That I may be a conduit. That I may be an instrument. That I may just be, Lord, a pipeline through which your message, your word, and your presence may touch, may encourage, may propel, may ignite the hearts and the minds of each and every one of us here today, God. Lord, I can't do this without you, Lord. You are the only one that makes a difference. So, Father, I hide Behind you, Holy Spirit, I hide behind you and I depend on you, God. I lift up Jesus throughout my assignment and at the end of my job, Lord, I, I decrease that you increase, God. And I promise you, God, that I will give you all the glory. All the glory it's yours in your name we pray. And everybody says, We are in week two of harvest time series i told you all last sunday that next sunday will be week three and for week three i want to encourage every single person in this room to find a way find a way of bringing someone to church next sunday i want you to find a way find a way And and this is going to be a harder assignment for those of us who have been in church long enough. Because I realize that it's easier for new people, people that come to church for a short period of time. It's easier for them to bring people to church. But sometimes those of us who have been in church long enough, we sometimes have a problem. We find it difficult to bring people to the church. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. For those of us that have been in church for a long time, to, to shake off the cobwebs and find a way to bring somebody to church. I want you to shake those cobwebs and start inviting somebody to the house of the Lord. Because I am believing, we are believing God for something great. We're believing God that he's going to save, that he's going to touch, that he's going to transform, that he's going to. It's just going to be incredible what God's going to do here. And so would you please pray? Would you please pray? Pray that God put somebody in your heart. Second thing I want to mention to you all is that this Thursday, this Thursday, in case you haven't noticed, we've been praying every Thursday for the past uh, eight weeks or seven weeks. We've been praying every Thursday at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I want to encourage the church to join us this Thursday in prayer. Join us in prayer. We've been hearing and seeing literally. Literally testimonies of God doing wonders Thursday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning as we pray. Miracles. and So I want to challenge every single one of you. If you wake up to go to work, wake up a little earlier and join us in prayer. If you wake up to go to school, wake up a little earlier and join us in prayer. If you don't work, shame on you for not joining us because you can go back to sleep. Wake up at 445 brush your teeth please brush your teeth i don't want to smell your breath on facebook okay brush your teeth put your little wig on and get your hair ready and get you nice and at five o'clock we're going to go live we're going to go live prayer praying we have people from all of our campuses praying we have people from honduras from columbia from up north from pennsylvania i mean literally everywhere joining us in prayer and god is doing great things every time we come together to pray at five o'clock it's amazing it's amazing and so we wake up and we pray and we do a structure of prayer so for those of you who don't know how to pray it would be cool that you join us so you can see how we pray the process before we ask god for anything there's a process we have in prayer and then we wrap a prayer with a homework and the homework is that i i give the church an assignment to memorize a bible verse for that week so After we pray, I ask the church to write whatever Bible verse you memorize, write it down. You see everybody writing the Bible verses they learn. So here's what's crazy. Not only are we praying, but we're reading the Bible and we're learning Bible scriptures. Why is that important? Because there's something happens when you pray God's word. When you pray God's word. Sometimes we just pray and I want and I need. But when you start praying what God said, you're holding him accountable to his word. And he said his word never comes back void. So when you pray his word things happen and so we're not just praying we're praying we're encouraging one another we're reading the Bible we're learning scripture and that's making us stronger in our faith so I want to encourage the church to join us at 445 all you have to do is go to Gabby Mejia page G A B B Y M E J I A page don't go to PG Mejia because that's my page don't go to Pastor Gabby that those pages I'm not there I'm in Gabby Mejia page and you're going to go on that one And there we're gonna link in and we're gonna pray. And uh, I'm heading out to Israel tomorrow. So, uh, but I'll be praying at 5 o'clock in the morning, your time. We will be 5 p.m. Israel time. And we're gonna be praying for your prayer request in Israel. Isn't that crazy? So, we're gonna be praying for and with you. Amen. This Thursday. So, I wanna encourage every single person who has Facebook, who has internet access, and can log in to join us at 5 o'clock in the morning this Thursday as we pray. Amen, church. All right. Go with me to the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter number 5. Last week we talked about the paradox, the polarity between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. John chapter 3 narrates the first couple of verses, an incident or encounter that Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. John chapter 4 narrates an encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman and right in between chapter 3 and chapter 4 you have John chapter 3 verse 16 which says God so loved the world and when he's saying world he's thinking about the elite and the broken, the rich and the poor, the male and the female the religious and the Gentile. God so loved the world and we notice that Jesus was intellectual enough to reach a rabbi, yet he was common enough to reach a Samaritan woman. And he was able to save them and reach them at their level. And both of these people were impacted by Jesus. We're talking about harvest time. The seed Jesus planted in Nicodemus produced a harvest far greater than a Sanhedrin would do, a synagogue would do. The seed that Jesus planted in the Samaritan woman was greater than her gods and her worship. And so we've been called by God to plant seeds. But today I want to draw your attention to a scripture that for those of us who have been at church long enough, we may know it, but I'm going to read it. The whole narrative for everyone here for the sake of those that perhaps may not know. And it's found in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through and including 26. It says, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Ain't that crazy? To know that that day, Jesus was like, today, I'm just going to flow in the miracles. Everybody's going to get healed. Imagine that. I'm here to tell you today that today is Jesus' day to operate a healing in your soul today in Jesus' name. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And that news spread to the point that verse 18 says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Let me tell you what a Hispanic woman in the house would have said if you done broken her roof. Talk about... um, (laughs) Listen, if this house would have been a, a Spanish woman's house, she would have kicked everybody at the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, girl. It don't matter if you're black or white. You break my house, you get out of my house. Can I get a good witness? Okay. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, which tells me you can see faith. The question is, what does faith look like? I'll tell you in a minute. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus who knew all things. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, number one, take your mat, number two, go home, number three. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. What a story. Oh, my. I'm I'm ready to make an article right now. We're talking about harvest time. We're talking about sowing. We're talking about sowing a seed in someone. To the point that when that someone comes to Jesus, there's a harvest. Now, when we talk about harvest, a harvest has nothing to do with buildings. A harvest has nothing to do with our plans, harvest is not about our dreams, although we should have dreams, although we should have plans, although we should aspire to be well off, but in this business, harvest is about sinners being saved by Jesus and bearing fruit by becoming disciples. That's the harvest. If you're honest with yourself, you will realize that you are who you are today because somebody sowed in you. Somebody invited you to church. Somebody, whether you was invited or whether you were dragged by your parents, but somebody brought you to church. So today we're enjoying the effects of salvation because someone planted the seed in us. So we're called by God to be the type of church that sows in others to reap a harvest. Now, I believe that every church should grow. Every church should grow. Now, there are different types of growth. You can grow at 30, you can grow at 60%, or you can grow at 100. But everything that is healthy should grow. And growth... The growth of a church, to some degree, is determined by the mindset of the people. If you are the type of believer and you're the type of member of the church that you never believe God and think growth, it'll it'll never happen. If in your mind all you think is mediocrity, if in your mind all you think is, I can't, I can't, I cannot, I cannot, listen, you will not. But you have to set your mind on growth for growth to happen. We're believing God. I'm believing God to continue to grow. We've been four years at this. We have four churches. I think we could say, you know what? We made it. Let's take it easy. No, but God is calling us for more. God is calling this church for more. God is calling you and I to do more. For the kingdom of God. So our mindset of more has to be active 24 hours a day. I'm I'm trying to tell you something. This church, this auditorium will not be filled to the back if our mind doesn't change from, it's comfort cozy till we're going to fill this house to the glory of God. If we don't make that mindset But to have that mindset, it cannot be out of arrogance, it's got to be out of harvest. Lord, I'm going to plant, I'm going to sow, I'm going to work because I want to see your house filled with your glory and your glory is made manifest in people. Now, 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 why is it that some churches don't grow? What are some of the things (coughs) that limits growth in a church? Let me tell you. It's all about the attitude. If we have the attitude of pride, we will not grow. If we have an attitude of laziness, you know how many people in church are lazy? Uh, Real talk. What's real talk now? Okay, (laughs) gotcha. You know how people are lazy in the church? Just want to come and come and get fed and get sung to and get clapped, you know, and come and you come and you come and you come and you do nothing for the kingdom. Lazy. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person right next to you, not you. Lazy. Don't want to work. Laziness can stop the growth of a church. When you read Acts chapter 2. From the moment the power of the Holy Spirit fell in their Pentecost, the church was working all the time. Working, 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 praying, 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 the doctrine of the the apostles, studying the word. And when they they got doing that, now they had to feed and feed the Gentiles and feed the women and feed and feed and feed and feed. And when they did that, they had to sell their property and give it to the apostles to build and expand. And when they did that, then they had to expand. They were working. Listen, and in in a matter of four services, the church grew from 120 to 7,000 people. They said, "We're gonna, we're gonna fulfill the mission. We're gonna go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and until the ends of the world." I can't go to the ends of the world with a spirit of laziness. If we have an attitude of pride, an attitude of laziness, a negative or critical spirit, have you ever been about? Have you ever been around critical people? People that they always find everything negative about everything. Yeah, church was good, but there was no drums today. I I ain't got praise no more. Negative, critical people. If we have an attitude of laziness, an attitude of critical spirit, an attitude of pride, we will never be able to do all that God wants us to do. And we will never become all that God wants us to be And we will never see the harvest. The men in the scripture, these four guys in Luke chapter 5. These four men brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. And they serve us as an example of the right attitude leading to the right action. Because let me tell you, being a Christian is not, not just accepting Jesus Christ. Now that I'm saved, I have to take the role of a Christian. And the role of a Christian is, I'm going to now look for broken, hurting, marginalized people so that the same experience I received with Jesus, I can bring others to the foot of the Lord. They serve to us as an example of the right action. Resulting in a great move of God, a sinner saved. And healed by Jesus because these four guys said, we're not going to leave this man in his paralysis another day. These four men show us three ways to reach people. And I want to highlight those three things and I'll be on my way. Number one, the first thing they needed to reach people was compassion. They were compassionate. Church, new birth, it's time to get compassionate for people. It's time for us to have that same compassion that caused Jesus to leave his throne, to leave everything. It's time to get compassionate. The world needs more compassion more than ever. We need more compassion, church. Why? Because compassion is the heart of God. Don't tell me you have the heart of God and you have no compassion for people. Don't tell me, oh, I, I, oh, God speaks to me. If God speaks to you, you know what He'll tell you? Go. Go get them. Go reach them. We need to. We need to be compassionate for the hurting. And let me tell you, sometimes, you know, when we always talk about hurting, we always think about poor, homeless, and indigent. There are a lot of good, well-off people that are hurting. There are a lot, even your boss might be so mean with you because he's hurting. You're, 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 you're the person above you in authority. You think they're nasty because that's who they are. You'd be surprised how a compassionate person such as you can change somebody's life. We need to start seeing people through the eyes of compassion. Verse 18 says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They were going to church for themselves. But compassion, compassion led them to look for their paralyzed friend. They came. They heard there was a rumor. There was a rumor. I don't know if it was on Instagram, WhatsApp, but there was a rumor that Jesus was in the power of doing miracles, of doing healings, and everybody was like, we gotta go to this house. And these four guys, when they heard that Jesus was doing miracles, they connected miracle to paralysis. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is this guy, this is this guy, this is this guy. This is compassion. This is this guy. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not just gonna go and go to church and see God do miracles. No, no, I know somebody that needs what God, Jesus is doing. I'm not just gonna go to service and see God break chains and deliver people. No, no, I know somebody that needs to experience this. And while everybody was hype on going to a service, they said, We gotta go get somebody. My friend is paralyzed, my nephew is a mess, my husband is a mess, my mom is a mess, my neighbor is a mess, and I I'm going to bring them to Jesus because I know that once they come to the foot of the Lord. Compassion calls these men to act out verse 18. It says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And look what compassion does. Verse 19, when they cannot find a way to do this because of the crowd. Let me tell you, sometimes people in church are the number one obstacle for people to get healed. Sometimes church people get in the way of God doing a miracle and sinners... They brought him to the house. They brought him to the church. And the church people were standing in the way between the paralyzed man and the God that can save them. So sometimes sometimes church people, let me tell you, the world out there doesn't hate God. The world out there does not dislike Jesus. Sometimes the people that follow Jesus give Jesus a bad name. And people say, you know, I like God. I just don't like God's people. I like Jesus. I just can't stand Jesus' people because Jesus' people, the moment they see me crippled and the moment they see me handicapped, they don't make space for me to come into church, so I can't come into church. It's not that I don't want to serve Jesus. It's that the church people think that it's all about themselves. I'm here to tell you, Newber, if we can't be that type of church, when the hurting wants to come in, we give them so many rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. No. He said, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will... We'll give you rest. We need to start giving Jesus a good name again because he's good. And we gotta start changing. The house was packed with people that follow Jesus, and nobody made space for this man to come in. The house was packed with religious people, people of the law, people who knew scripture, people who knew the Torah, but they did not know that Jesus didn't come here to debate biblical concepts. He came to set the captives free. And while the theologians are trying to get close to Jesus, here are four guys full of compassion saying, you don't need to know Hebrew. You don't need to know Greek. You just need to meet Jesus. Listen to me, they were compassionate and their compassion did not allow that their barrier take them back. Let me tell you, the first thing the devil will throw at someone full of compassion is, is disappointment and he'll put barriers to test how passionate you are for Jesus. Let me tell you something. Every barrier the devil puts in your path is out to fight and is out to debate the compassion you have for Jesus. But you cannot allow any obstacle the devil puts in your path to dwindle the compassionate spirit God has placed in your heart they had more than enough reason to say hey dude I tried but hey uh." no no but compassion said it doesn't matter that people are in the way compassion found a way to make a way out of no way when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd they went up on the roof and lowered them on a mat Through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right before Jesus. Notice the people did not let this man get to Jesus. Compassion made a way and brought this man in the presence of Jesus. He was right in the middle of Jesus. Listen to what the Torah tells you. Listen, why did they do this? Why did they go out of their way? Compassion. Friend that are here today, why did somebody invite you to church today? Compassion. Compassion. So that you may leave this place understanding that there is room in the house of God for you. Compassion is what drove these men to help their friend who was paralyzed. These guys weren't helping Jesus. I'm sorry, these guys were not helping the paralyzed guy because they wanted a a promotion. They didn't help this paralyzed man because they wanted applause at the end of the service. They were not after accolades. They were not after recognition. They just wanted to pursue a compassionate heart, leading broken people to Jesus Christ. So I ask you, Newber, do you have compassion for people today? Do you have it? Where has your compassion for sinners gone? Where is it? where has your compassion gone look what Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us pray that god will give us an opportunity to tell people this message we have to wake up every morning saying lord give me an opportunity Lord, provide a way. Lord, make a way. Whether I'm making a line in Starbucks, whether I'm making a line in Dunkin' Donuts, whether I'm making a line in in, in church chicken. Why did I say church chicken? Remind me, Lord, 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 make a way. Lord, make a way. Give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to tell people how good you are. Paul tells us in the Romans chapter 15 and 2, he says, We should all be concerned about our neighbor and the good things that will build his faith. So, what's the one thing I see in these four guys? The Bible says they were compassionate. At least I say they were compassionate. Number two, they cooperated, they got together, they worked as a team. They worked cohesively. Church, it's time to cooperate with one another. Clearly, these men had to cooperate with one another. Why? Have you ever carried a man a flight of stairs and bring him down a roof? You know how heavy it is to carry a person. And these four men, because I haven't carried nobody up no flight of steps, but I should know it's heavy. Here's how it was easier for them to do it. They cooperated together and they worked as a team. All right, Papa, you get his arm. You get his right arm. You get his left leg. I get his right leg. And we're going to do this together. Four men carrying one, bringing them to Jesus. Listen to me, church. That's what we talk about. That's what unity is about. That's unity. They both grabbed different parts of the body, but there was one objective. They both grabbed different parts of the body, but they were focused on one goal. The goal was, we're going to take them to Jesus. One of the greatest things working against the church is the disunity in the church. I'm not talking about Newberg. I'm talking about the global disunity in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, disunity is destructive reason why God had to cast out Lucifer from heaven was because he caused this unity in heaven. And he took the devil and one-third of the angels, he said, I know I made you, I know I created you guys, but y'all gotta go. Because as long as there's this unity, there will not be unity to continue the agenda. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is, wherever there's this unity, there's destruction. That's what the Lord construct this church but there's got to be a spirit of unity there's got to be a spirit of unity we got to be one look at Jesus' prayer to to God the Father about his disciples in John 17 23 Jesus says this I and them you and me and don't get no more united than that I and them you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Church, unity is essential. Listen to me, church. Unity is the essential component for letting the world know about Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. Unity is an essential component in letting the world know Jesus Christ. We don't want to give different messages of Jesus. We want to give the the world the correct message of Jesus. We want to speak the same language. We want to be united as a family. Let me tell you, as a pastor... I don't, I don't have no problem inviting people to church. You know, I don't have no problem inviting people to church because we got great leaders that are united in our church. I, listen, I trust this church enough to say to anybody, come visit our church next Sunday. Because I know that the people that are working at our church have the heart of God to love people. Now, if I had someone in the parking ministry operate like, the devil's cousin on crack. I'll be like, listen, 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 listen. Come to our church, but you, but don't go through the parking. J- jump over the gate and go. <laughs> but I feel comfortable inviting people to church. Why? Because I know that the parking ministry—they're gonna love them. I know that when they walk through that, that that little pathway and they start reading those little signs, that's a message of love. I know that when they get to the lobby right here, somebody's going to give them a hug. I know that when they finish that hug, somebody can say, hey, have a coffee, it's on us. I know that the ushers at the door, they're going to love them. I know that the atmosphere here is conducive to the love of God. So I'm not afraid to tell people to come to church, but how horrible would it be that people in leadership were ugly and disgusting and I would never... Listen, this church is designed for you to go get people and bring them to the house of God, so that by the time they come to the altar, they're going to feel the love of the church, the love of the people, and then get the love of God. We have no excuse not to invite people to church. We have no excuse. Because we know that our church is a loving church. Because our, our leadership works in unity. We operate with that spirit. This is all for the glory of God. This is all that everybody who comes through these doors, they're not going to meet Gabby. They don't have to even hug Gabby. They're going to be so impacted by the love of God's people. That's unity, church. That's unity at its best. It's unity. And that's why Jesus is saying, I and them and you and me. Because if you and I are connected and then I get into them and then they go to the world, the world is not going to see them. The world is going to see me and them. And they're going to see you and me. And the more I'm connected to you, the more I'm connected to them. And the more they connect to the world, the world will see the love of the Father. Church, unity is essential is an essential component for the world to know Jesus. Send me, church. I put a few key words that come to mind when I think of the word cooperation. Here they are. Number one, unity. Number two, join. Number three, align. Number four, support. Number five, encourage. Number six, edify. When I think about cooperation, this is what I'm thinking. This is what, what, this is what we must reflect as a church. But why is it that it seems like it's so hard to edify, to build, to lift up, and to encourage? Did you know that sometimes, if you're honest with, with yourselves, it's easier to tear people down than it is to lift them up? Tearing people down, oh, that's so easy. <laughs> Building people up, that's so hard. We're good at. We, I don't know what it is. I think it's the sinful nature in us that we're just good at putting people down. Yo, you saw what they did. Let me post that right quick. <laughs> not for nothing. <laughs> Listen, whoever tells you not for nothing in the middle of a convers- in the beginning of a conversation, delete that message. Listen to me. Sometimes it's easier for us to tear people down because tearing people down, there's no commitment. You just say, break somebody's heart, keep on walking. Building somebody takes work. Building somebody says, no, 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 mama, 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 you, you you, can't be like this. Building somebody says, no, 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 you can't be in this paralysis another day. Building somebody says, okay, you might have come to church messed up, but my job is I'm going to build you, I'm going to grow you, I'm going to take you by the hand. I can easily tear you down and keep you down and keep you castigated and keep you marginalized, but God didn't save me so that I can castigate you. God saved me so that I can show you the love of God because I'm in him, you're in me, so that the world can see the love of God. Listen to me, church. We got to graduate. We got to graduate from tearing people down to building people up. We got to find opportunities to speak life into people. Even if at the moment what they're going through is their worst condition. Let me say this. It's like an anecdote. It's a kid, right? He had a big head. Big head. I'm talking about like like, like, like Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson, and LeBron put together. Like a big dome. It's just crazy. He had a big head. And every day he'll go to school. Every day he'll go to school. His peers, ah, you big head, you big head, ha 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 ha. You ha, ha, ha. <laughs> got a big head. And one day he couldn't take it anymore, no so he came on crying. And said, "Mama, mama!" And mama came desperate. What happened, my son? My, Ma- I can't take it anymore. No Everywhere I go, they call me a big head. They say I got a big head. Mama, I got a big head. Why do I got a big head, mama? Mama, why do I got a big head? And this is her reply. Don't listen to nobody. You ain't got no big head, my son. She, 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 she put her hands over his head. Don't worry, my son. Devil is a alive. You ain't got no big head. You my little boy. It took her an hour to, to, to massage his head. She could have easily said, But baby, why they calling you big head? Because you got a big head. But what did she do? She said, No, don't worry about that, baby. Uh-uh. You ain't got no big head. My perspective of your head from, the, from, the, from, from space, it's not that big. Don't worry, you ain't got no big head. <laughs> look what I'm saying, look what I'm saying. We got to start looking at people with their faults and find a way to find the good things in them. I don't know, Pastor, I don't know, but I can't stop smoking. I should leave the church. No, wait, 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 before you know, let, me, let me help you, let me help you. Instead of saying, yeah, you sinner, yeah, you liar, yeah, you fornicator, yeah, you homosexual, yeah, you the adulterer. Yeah, before you even get to that, come here, come here, come here. Because the Bible says that he who comes to Jesus, he will not cast away. I don't know the answers, but I know someone who knows the answers. Come, come, come. Church. It's so easy to tear down. But God is calling us to encourage one another, to edify, to build up. Let's stop being so critical. Let's stop being so judgmental. Casting judgments and critical hearts causes unity and they're destructive and they're toxic and, they're para- and they bring paralysis to the church. But what would happen if we encourage one another? If we spur up one another, if we bring hope to one another. Listen to me, church. Two things they did. They were compassionate. Number two, they cooperated. Number three, they were committed. Listen to me, church. It's time to be committed to people. The house was full of people from the front to the back. And these guys were so committed in compassion that they were like, even if there's no way, we're gonna make a way. And what did they do? They climbed the roof. Now understand, understand. If you come to my house and you climb my roof, I'm gonna call the cops on you. This lady gave Jesus permission this man, to have a service in their house. Jesus comes in, and the house gets packed, and all of a sudden, while Jesus is ministering, teaching, and healing, these five guys, four carrying one, decide to climb the roof of this house. And when they get to the roof, there's no way to go in. And so they start breaking the roof. If you come to my house and you break my house, I'll give you an example. A few years ago when I was youth pastor at Iguese Calvario, you know, there was, there was a little fad. Everybody had internships, inter, you know. Master's Commission, Ignite, everybody had internships. And I said, you know what, let me see if I'm, I'm going to start an internship. And so I took, I took two young people, Pastor Victor Ramos' son, Jamil, and Jonathan Rivera, who is still Associate Pastor at Calvario. And I took them, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start an internship program. So I took, them my, I took them in my house for the whole summer. So it's okay, you're going to live with me, you're going to be with me. We're going to spend all summer together. You know, the, the plan was, you know, pray early in the morning, take them to the, to, the, to the gym, workout, read Bible, expose them to ministry, Bible memories that we had. That was, it was a nice plan for the entire summer, right? Well, here's what happened. Jonathan decided to act mischievous in my house. And he started running and jumping in my daughter's bed, Gabrielle's bed. And he broke my daughter's bed. I didn't bring him to my house to bring my daughter's bed. I brought him to my house to pray. I brought him to my house to grow him. He broke my daughter's bed. Now, now, listen, listen. Listen, I'm a, you know, you know, and I'm a Christian, but I'm a Hispanic Christian. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, the, the pastoral side of me is looking at him like, the Hispanic in me looked at him and said, listen, guys, let's have a meeting. I sat both of them down and said, listen, today is the last day of this thing. I quit with you guys get out. I kicked them out. I kicked them out of my house. I said, I ain't bring you here to break my bed. That's my daughter's bed. And then he, he had the guts not to admit it, which made it even worse. I said, get out. I shut that program before I even started it. Because how are you going to come to my house and break my furniture? These four guys don't know this owner of the house. They don't have a relationship with the owner of the house. They weren't even invited to the house. But when there's compassion and when there's cooperation, there's no regard of how people feel. They want to get people to Jesus. (laughs) So they get to the roof. And all of a sudden, they see the house full of people. There's no way to go in. So they climb the roof. This is Commitment. This is commitment. Even though I can't see it, I'm going to still keep working. Even though there's an opposition, I'm going to still keep fighting. Even though my marriage doesn't look the way it should be, I'm going to still keep fighting. Even though I don't have the job on my dreams, I'm going to be faithful in this one. Even though I don't have what I want now, I'm going to look for ways to make it happen. God did not give you the spirit of fear. You've got to be committed. You've got to be persistent. you got to be ongoing. you got to be tenacious. Listen to me. I'm amazed. Guys had for the paralytic dude. They could have given up. They had more than enough reasons to give up, the crowd. It was not their house. They climbed the roof. It was heavy. Only to get to the roof and there's no way to come down. But commitment said, we're going to tear the roof down. Commitment said, we're not going to come down carrying this guy. This guy's going gonna to climb up the roof, but he's going to walk out the door. Listen to me, church. They could have stopped based on the logistics of their scenario, yet they persisted and continued until their eyes saw what they believed God was going to do. The difficulties of the scenario was, it's too full. Hey, at least I brought you close enough. It could have been, hey, hey, there's no way in. Maybe some of you have done that at some point in your life. You have a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, and you say, hey, there's no way, there's no way no way Uh, you know he's been to church 20 times and he keep back there's no way I'm not even going to try anymore listen to me church we serve a God of miracles we serve a God of wonders we serve a God who can do something out of nothing listen to me church that's what God is telling us be persistent don't give up Look what Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says. It says, let us not become weary. Let us not get tired of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up, church. Did you know a survey was done? survey was done and the survey study showed that 96% of unchurched people, people that don't go to church, would go to church if they were only invited. Let me say that again. 96% of the people that do not go to church don't go to church because they have not been invited. And so God is telling you, There's a 96% chance that someone you speak to will come to church. There's a 96% chance that someone you invite to church will come and come to Jesus. And that's our task, church. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with the guys who are laid in the mat? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This man was paralyzed. By the way, th- this is the bed I, I sleep in when I sleep with the homeless in Thanksgiving week. Everybody, everybody's going to church. Everybody going to this house. Yet the paralyzed man can't make it. But four guys... Four guys. Where are my four guys at? Come here. Four guys. Don't pick me up yet. Wait, 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 wait. We got to plan this. <laughs> they cooperated. They got. Plan. Listen, listen, listen. Four guys. Listen, listen. listen. Wait, wait, wait. Listen. listen. Babe, did you pay my life insurance? <laughs> listen. These four guys. The Bible never mentioned their names. The Bible never mentioned their names. I don't know their names. I don't know if they're Hebrew. I don't know if they're Gentiles. I don't know where they're from. All I know is that four guys got together to take a man to Jesus. And look what the story says. Look what the story says. When When they broke the roof. Jesus, the the Bible says, the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, when when Jesus saw their faith, your greatest visible manifestation of the love of God is when you dispose in your heart to work and help others come to Jesus. Jesus. Look what he says. He says, when he saw their faith, he then spoke to the paralyzed man. And when we read that scripture, we always read it like like it, it happened quick. He saw their faith. He said, get up. No, no, no. No, no. When Jesus saw their faith, it wasn't an instant thing that happened. Jesus was looking at their faith. So he stopped and looked at his faith. Then he stopped and he looked at his faith. And then he stopped and he looked at his faith. And then he stopped and he looked. He's looking at faith. Listen, every time you make it your business to operate in compassion and cooperation and commitment, Jesus sees in you. He took his time to look Why would you be compassionate? Why would you be committed? Why would you guys cooperate for a man who is in this condition and can't nobody help? Why would you do this? Zip me up first. Zip me up. Oh, I feel like sleeping. Here's what they did. Here's what they did. They started lifting them up. Come on, lift me up. They lift me up. And they were taking me. Don't go too far, I don't want you guys to fall. I wanted to see me. And they were taking them to Jesus. God keep, keep walking fellas. Go down the stairs. Look, look what they did. They brought them down the roof. They brought him down the roof. Oh, God, help me, Lord Jesus. Because sometimes, listen, when you're paralyzed, you need to trust in the people that are going to carry you. You need to trust the people that are going to carry you. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. They're going to let me fall. They're not going to let me fall. Because their compassion, their commitment, and their cooperation, they're going to make sure I get to Jesus, and I won't fall in the hands of four men who believe God for breakthrough. And they took me, and they took me to Jesus. Got tired, right? Carrying people is hard work. No, no, no. Carrying people—it's not easy. Carrying people is going to cause you to lose sleep. Carrying people, stay right there, guys. is going to cause you to do things after work hours carrying people is going to make you uncomfortable but had they not carried the paralyzed the paralyzed would have still been paralyzed but they made it their business if we get this man to Jesus he has the power to do listen He has the power to work out our faith. And look what he does. Look what he does. When Jesus saw their faith, he never said, Yo, thank you. He never spoke to them. When he saw their faith, he spoke to the guy who couldn't work for his own self did Jesus tell these guys? Nothing. But when did he speak to the guys? When well, he looked at them. Whatever he, stu- whatever he, what, whatever they saw, when he looked at them, said more than what they had to be said. Because let me tell you, one look of Jesus is better than a million words. So he looked at them and he told them exactly what he needed to tell them in that look. But then he looks at the man and look at what he tells the man. He said, "Friend, time out. We're not friends. Jesus called him a friend. Time out. You, you haven't even followed me on Facebook. How are we friends, friend? And look at what he tells him. Friend, your sins have been forgiven." They did not bring this man to Jesus to deal with his sin. They brought this man to Jesus to deal with his paralysis. They didn't didn't carry this guy for nothing other than for God to heal him. So why didn't Jesus respond to their faith and heal the man instantly? Because the true sickness the heart is not paralysis, it's sin, see, 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 this man's sickness was sin, it wasn't paralysis, paralysis is the symptom of his sickness, if Jesus dealt with the symptom and not with the sickness, he might have walked today, but he would have been paralyzed somewhere else tomorrow. So Jesus says, before I make you walk on the outside, let me make you walk on the inside. Before I heal you from your paralysis, let me heal you from your heart. And so he says, he says, he says, son, your sins have been forgiven. And then church folk, you know church folk, who is he? Talk about he could forgive sin. He's blasphemy and Jesus heard and read their hearts and he, said, he asked the question what is it better what is, de- what is easier to forgive a man of his sins or to heal a man of his paralysis and then he says so that you know that I've been sent by God here's what I'm going to tell you man get up pick up your bed the guy got up and these guys are there like about time (laughs) listen listen to me church their harvest was in his getting up but had they not had they not sown the seed of caring they would have never had the harvest of rejoicing If you don't pick someone up, if you don't plant a seed of faith in others, you will never enjoy the reaping of a harvest. Listen, I'm telling you, there's no greater joy than you bringing someone to church and you've seen them come to Jesus. And then that, that decision changes his life, his wife's life, his children's life, breaks curses. There's no greater joy. And look at what Jesus tells them. He says, get up, pick up your bed, and go. Where did this man go? Bible don't tell me. But here's what I get out of this: God didn't send this man away without his bed. God sent this man away with his own bed. As if to say, Go find someone who can't walk and lay them in the bed and bring them to me. As if to say, give by grace what you have received by grace. Your mat is the responsibility God has given you to find paralyzed people and carry them. And as somebody carried you, you carry that person. This is the gospel right here. This is the gospel. The gospel is hard work. The gospel is sacrifice. Paul says, How will they know if no one tells them? How would they hear? How would they hear? Put that scripture up in Romans. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone? So what are you going to do with your empty mat? Put it in your room of memorabilia? No. Take that empty mat. And Find the next paralyzed person in your family, in your life, in your environment. And give by grace what by grace you have received. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Everyone that has Jesus in their heart, you have a man in your hand. Everyone that has accepted Jesus in their lives, you have this in your hand. What are we going to do with this Who are we going to reach? Who are we going to impact? But for those of you that are here today, friend, I told you I was going to count to three. I'm going to count to three right now. Today the Lord brought you here. Somebody carried you to church. Someone carried you you've been battling giving your life to Jesus you've been battling about this church thing because you, you have all these walls and all these things and people have hurt you and stuff has happened that you're like I don't know but I'm here to tell you God is breaking every paradigm, every door everything, every person and he is telling you I'm giving you direct access to my very presence so here's what I'm going to do I want everybody to please close your eyes and bow your heads and I'm going to count three And at the count of three, if you want us to carry you into Jesus' presence, if you want to give Jesus an opportunity, I want you to raise your hand like a rocket to the sky. Shoot it as fast as you can at the count of three. Please don't be the third one to raise it, the second one to raise it, the fifth. Be the very first. Say, I want to get to Jesus. And we are going to pray with and for you. All over this room, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want Jesus, at the count of three, raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift your hand. I see one hand. I see two. I see three. I see four. I see five. I see six. Come on, church. We we should be giving God a crazy praise right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.